Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer and joining me is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Well, we're back in the fixed income bunker again and it's the first Tuesday of July. The RBA has just met and they certainly haven't disappointed this month. Lots to talk about. So just in in summary, um, as we were expecting, the RBA was going to use this meeting to uh, give us a bit more information about what they're thinking about in terms of the economy and also monetary policy. And they've given us quite a bit to talk about. So firstly, just to summarise, they have not rolled the uh, yield curve target into the November 24 bond. Uh, It's still the April 24. That was largely expected. They've kept the monetary policy rate at 10 basis points, also largely expected. But they have made some changes to the quantitative easing program, um, tapering that from $5 billion a week down to $4 billion a week with another major announcement uh, or a review anyway in November this year. That's probably the one of the things that was least expected by the market. Most people um, had been expecting them to kind of keep it the same, but maybe to give themselves a little bit more flexibility. The other thing they have changed a little bit, Chris, was that they've sort of mentioned like 2024 is still the the year that they expect to be changing rates if they need to, but, but they've taken away that it's only their central case now, not their all of their um, both, you know, worst case, best case options are now in, in that sort of area. So that's a slight, I guess, change in in policy, but it's still not saying that we're going to see rates change anytime soon. Um, What else did you get out of the the statement? Yeah, if we kind of, I guess, start with that 2024 period, that now is what they're describing as the central scenario. And I think that comes back to what low low kind of came to any speech in that they need to see inflation sustainably in that two to three band. And that's more about wages and, and where inflation is. So certainly why there is some upside here, you do need to see wages and inflation to start moving to pull your forecast forward. I think the other thing that really came out of this to me was that uh, they also said that they wouldn't move rates until they're done with the bond purchasing program. So there was a little bit of um, speculation prior in the market that maybe they could move rates first. Um, certainly now they've said they won't be doing that until the QE program has been unwound. And then the last thing that that came out of this as well, sorry, there's there's quite a lot that they talked about, is that the yield curve control that they're running out until 2024 is actually aligned with when they expect rates to move. So part of keeping that bond at 0.1% is, is really to keep the cash rate anchored. And when they're ready to move the cash rate, that yield curve control will probably be flicked as well. Yeah, it certainly probably gives someone who's calling a 2023 hike a possibility, some hope. But some of the ones that are calling for even earlier in 2022 Certainly, that doesn't seem to be even in the RBA's thinking at this point in time, and it's certainly not in the data. Um, it was quite interesting listening to to Governor Lowe talk at his press conference because he, he kind of really emphasised the fact that they're waiting on evidence. They're going to see wages growth and inflation. They're not going to accept forecasts. And, you know, he said it several times. People tried to get him to sort of answer the question a different way, but he just kept coming back to that thing you know, we, we want to see evidence. And I think that that kind of rules out a rate hike anytime soon. And the other thing he sort of really honed in on was the fact that conditions in in the Australian market have been such that wages haven't been growing at 3%, which seems to be the level he, he believes we need to get back to for over 10 years, and that the conditions haven't changed enough to warrant us getting back there in the near future. And he sort of said that several times as well. So, it's really hard to read in how people are expecting rates to to be lifted, you know, maybe 
2023 is a possibility, but even earlier than that, highly unlikely. Yeah, I mean, when I look at what he's saying and I kind of think about the economic outcomes that they're trying to describe, if you're forecasting or stating that we need 2 to 3% inflation consistently, then you kind of need wages to be above that number to ensure that people are spending fast enough to generate that inflation consistently. So that, I think, is where that 3% number that he's talking about for wages comes from. And, you know, I've got the wage price index up on my screen at the moment, and the last time we are hitting those sorts of figures was 2012. So you can very much see why they are saying that we need to see it because the market has been forecasting wages of that magnitude for the past 10 years and it just hasn't come. And if you overreact early, then you're going to kill inflation and kind of end it sooner. So I think to see 2023, you're going to need to have that mark step up in wages to give them some confidence that it's actually coming. Otherwise, it's going to look like more of the same, in my opinion. I think we're going to really have to you know, watch each data release now very closely because you know, if we do get stronger evidence that there is some wages growth, that probably changes the equation a little bit. If we see overall inflation starting to lift, again, it probably changes the equation. But but if we keep going the way we've been for the last few months, you know, notwithstanding the rebound from the COVID crisis, where inflation is obviously running nominally a bit higher than what would normally be the case, but the general feeling is that's going to taper back down to more 2% over time. I still just sit here thinking, you know, how do we how do we build a case for rates to be higher any sooner than um, what the RBA is saying? I guess as well, something else that kind of feeds into this that kind of pops out when you start thinking about these questions is if the borders remain closed and the labor market gets extremely tight, then then maybe that does bring wages starting to increase. But if you're, you're forecasting, say, in 2022 or 2023, that international travel starts opening again because the vaccine has been completely rolled out, then, you know, an influx of people willing to do the jobs that that perhaps are in demand at the moment could actually put the kind of ceiling on wages again. So it does become kind of complex to really think about how it's going to play out. But as you say, it's probably more so watching the data very closely because if their central scenario starts to have upside to it, that would be when they'd need to, re- to potentially pull everything forward. It's just that it's very hard to see at the moment. Yeah, the, the border one is an interesting thing. Uh, Lowe actually referred to that, and again, in his press conference, where saying borders opening up is a really good thing for the economy, which it is, but it is also likely then to have a dampening effect on on wages overall. So it's kind of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I, I think in general, he would be happier to see the borders open and then a, a gradual move back to a, a higher wages number than he would to be seeing it artificially inflated by the fact that you know we're still locked down as an economy and not really growing at our potential. That that would be my feeling. Absolutely, it's, you know one of the the themes that we've talked about a lot over the, the past is that part of the problem with the Japanese and European growth rates is they've got no population growth, and a big part of Australia's population growth has been immigration. And so it should actually be net positive for growth to open it up back up again. But, you know, how you weigh up inflation and wages in that environment becomes a little bit more difficult. So I I don't think it's just something you can kind of look at and have a definite answer for. It's just something you're going to have to wait and see how it plays out. One of the other things I thought was interesting from his press conference was that he was asked a question about other countries and the fact that we've seen the Bank of Canada and the Bank of New Zealand in in particular move to... um, either mentioned higher rates sooner rather than later. Um, the Bank of Canada is also tapered, but he, he was at, at length to sort of point out the fact that 
both of those economies are actually closer to their inflation targets than what Australia is, and that we're still a long way away from where the RBA would like us to be. And that he then also made the point that we've also been a lot lower for a lot longer period of time than many of those other economies, and that we've had substantially slower wages growth over the same period of time as those economies. So even though our our economy has picked up faster, perhaps, than some of the others around the globe, he still thought the conditions there were more favouring rates to be held lower than to go higher along with those particular economies. Yeah, some some of the work that I've been looking at and trying to kind of think about from that perspective is that Australia runs a 2 to 3% inflation target, whereas if you look at the UK, if you look at the US, those countries are 2%. If you look at New Zealand, their target's actually 1 to 3. So, you know, arguably you don't need wages growth quite as high as those economies to hit the inflation target as you would in Australia because they're for the US and the UK, for example, they're targeting two, whereas where we would say that 2% is the bottom of our range and you probably need to actually be doing more at that point in time. So it does make it a little bit more complicated, I think, for the RBA, the fact that their inflation target is higher. But, you know, one of the things that we were quite annoyed at probably 12 to 18 months ago was that they had the chance to review that inflation target and they basically said that it's fine. So, you know, that choice 18 months ago kind of sets you up for, for where you are now of having to keep your foot down harder than some other economies. I, I think, you know, to that point, um, he also then later on brought out the fact that they really want to achieve those targets so they can normalise uh, monetary policy to give themselves a little bit more um, policy flexibility in, in the case of another slowdown at some point in the future. So they're, they're obviously got that in the back of their mind, but you know they really are making their job a lot harder by maintaining inflation targets and expectations that are perhaps maybe globally a little bit too high, but um, that one's <laughs> an entire podcast in itself. But yeah, it's it's... Sort of, you think they're always sort of tying their hands behind their back by having one of the highest targets globally. Yeah, they they certainly don't make it easier for themselves by having it there. And you know, I guess when you look at the Australian situation, kind of prior to the past ten years, we generally did generate more inflation than other economies. So perhaps you kind of looked at it fine from that perspective. But you know, as we go into this global world where everything seems to move as one, it becomes questionable just how much kind of you can stick out above someone else, I think. So just to add to some of what the RBA's done, I I thought it'd be also interesting just to kind of point out where the market forecasts have moved over the past four weeks, because we have actually seen a a pretty big shift in what the market is thinking. So this time uh, a month ago, the market was still forecasting about 2024 as the liftoff for interest rates. If you look at the moment, assuming that the RBA were to take the cash rate back to 0.25% first, then it's actually forecasting 2022 for that to occur. And the market is now expecting um, 1% rates by the end of 2023. And I think the important thing of kind of looking at that at the moment is in context to what the RBA is saying, they're still saying our central case is 2024 that we begin this liftoff. Now, if you think that the cash rate gets back to say one, one and a half percent once they're done hiking, The market is now actually forecasting all of the hikes to come by the time that the RBA is telling us that they're going to happen. So I think part of the muted response to these kind of policy changes from the RBA today is the fact that the market is already beginning to call these changes ahead of the RBA and in some senses are probably now well ahead of what the RBA is telling us. Yeah, that's one of the, I guess, scary things of having had interest rates so low for so long that, uh, you know, when we do start to get increases, and we've seen this now for the past decade or so, 
we never really get back to where we were in the previous cycle. And this is probably not going to be any different, even if things go absolutely perfectly. And even if all these people are correct and we get rate hikes sooner rather than later, you know, it's probably just getting us to a point where the economy will actually start to slow faster and earlier. And we never really get back to where we were previously. And that's been one of the the things we've seen, not only here, but, you know, in Europe and and in Japan and to the US to some extent. We just don't seem to be able to get things back to what people think of as normal. And that's got to be a worry for central bankers globally, I would assume. Yeah. When when you look at certainly the cash rate, if you kind of just put timing of recessions over the cash rate and then look at the subsequent peak in the cash rate versus the prior peak, it's usually about one and a half, two percent 2% lower. If you think about kind of how that occurs in the economy at the moment, you know, you look at loan commitments going to the household and they're going the fastest we've ever seen them. You've got house prices jumping 20%. That kind of tells you that when you do start to try and push the cash rate up, it's hard to get it back to where it was because the the households have taken on more debt than they had prior. So kind of the leverage to those rate increases becomes much faster. So certainly while the market is forecasting those hikes to come, my personal opinion is it's probably going to be a bit slower simply because the leverage on the household is going to be bigger this time around. Yeah, and I think that's something we talked about quite a bit. You know, leverage makes it harder to get rates higher, but it keeps driving the economy. You know, people keep adding fuel to the fire. It just keeps going. And then eventually you have to either go, do we want to reduce the amount of debt we have on issue or do we want to, you know, and therefore have a little bit less growth? You know, that that's always going to be the answer is probably no, because most Western economies are set up around aggregate growth as their, their main target. So it's going to make the next couple of years really tricky. But I think the big thing to note about that is if we do get rate hikes, they're not likely to be so painful that, um, you know, we will see, you know, 5% interest rates again anytime soon. Yeah, I think the takeaway from the central banks is it's going to be slow and steady. But if you kind of play devil's advocate and say, well, why is the, the market forecasting this? I think at the moment, it's really about the labor market. So the unemployment rate is back at 5.1%. If you're forecasting that that continues its strength, which is certainly looking like it should from all the business surveys and those types of lead indicators, then you're probably expecting an unemployment rate in, say, 4.5% sometime next year. And if you look at the US, if you look at the UK, they actually started hiking their interest rates at around kind of 47 4.5% in 2016. So you are going to be hitting an unemployment rate where other central banks have started hiking. And that is probably why the market is pulling it forward. And alternatively, I think that's why the, the RBA is saying it's not just about employment. We also need to see those wages above 3%. Don't just focus on that one metric. Let's just watch inflation for now. Yeah, it was interesting because he, Governor Lowe went to a lot of emphasis again on um, they'd like to see employment in the low fours for some period of time. But he said that he was uncertain when that would start to create wages growth, if at all, because we haven't really been there for many, many years. Um, 50 plus, I think, was the exact number of years he, he mentioned. So, you know, it's kind of unknown territory and people are just guessing to some extent where it's coming. That's why I think, you know, the data now is going to be much more important going forward than probably has been for the last, you know, 12, 18 months. So, Chris, one of, one of the things we've talked a little bit about is, is obviously housing is is going at extreme levels right across the market. We, we initially saw growth rates in owner-occupied lending start the trend. We're now starting to see 
investors coming into the market with unit prices starting to uh, rise as well. One thing the RBA went to great pains at is that they don't think they need to do anything about housing at this point in time. And they've sort of pushed it back a little bit on the banks to some extent that they think lending standards are really what they're watching not necessarily house price growth. Um, What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, they're certainly telling us that as long as lending standards remain strong, that, you know, they're they're going to be reluctant to put the brakes on it. The the metric that I kind of find most interesting at the moment is that after a long period of investors sitting out of the market, we're now starting to see investor finance increase. So the, the loan commitment survey is the one that I like to watch. And it's basically showing investor approvals at the same levels that they were in in 2014 and 2016 when APRA had to step in and slow things down. So that isn't to say that lending standards are necessarily worse at this point in time. It's just to say that that segment that caused them to step in last time is now starting to run. If you look at the differential in prices, houses are up about, say, 15 to 20%, while apartments are only up 5 to 10 So it does seem like there could be still another wave of demand to come through investors if they don't try and stop it. But obviously, we don't have the same visibility to the lending standards and if you look at APRA and you look at what the RBA is saying at the moment, they're certainly not making any noise about them getting worse, which implies that they're probably just going to let it run. Yeah, a lot of what's been driving housing is obviously been the ability to fix housing rates or, or mortgage rates, sorry, at a level below sort of normal floating rate mortgages. So investors in particular have been able to fix their mortgages for two, maybe three years at very low rates. Um, We're starting to see some of those fixed rates increase. And it'll be interesting now that there's some wavering around perhaps, you know, three years is is sort of um, still okay, but but two years not so um, in terms of when the hikes may come, whether people pull back from um, chasing those really short dated fixed rate mortgages and you know the cost of going four or five years fixed is a lot higher than um, than most people are probably willing to entertain at this point. Yeah, one of, one of I guess the the simple rule of thumbs that that I come from from this is to say what's the rental yield on on a property and what's the interest rate. And at the moment, when I went and checked, I think properties in Melbourne, for example, units are, are still yielding about three percent. And you know, if you can fund that at two point five, it seems to just be you know happy days. But We do need to remember that as they start to get more hawkish, you will start to see front-end yields start to lift up. And as well as that, they've also removed the TFF now. So we should also see banking spreads start to widen as well. And and I think that should put a little bit of pressure on fixed-rate mortgages, maybe not enough to slow the market down, but maybe just enough for the RBA to say, we don't think this is getting out of control at the moment because there's going to be some natural handbrakes to come through those avenues first. Certainly, we feel that housing is probably ripe to start slowing a little bit certainly house price rises but you know you have to sort of sit here and wonder if it doesn't happen then what (laughs) i know we keep saying that but uh you know it it, the rba isn't ultimately responsible it's apra but um you know it's you go wonder how much longer they can they can tolerate that for without at least trying to slow it down a bit yeah, and I, I guess the the problem from the RBA's perspective is they've got that inflation target, and if they increase rates to slow housing, they're going to also be increasing rates to businesses, which they obviously don't want to do. So for them, it is far harder for them to use the tools available to them to focus on one single thing, which is why I personally think if you're going to try and focus on on that aspect, it, it does need to be APRA rather than the RBA. The last thing that I just wanted to comment here on today is just some of the conflicting signals that we're also seeing in the market. At the moment, 
you, you are starting to see front end bond yields rise and, and that's that's going with the market becoming more hawkish. But interestingly, there's a few kind of fixed fixed income indicators that we watch that are not quite telling the same story. So so two interesting ones that are worth looking at is the 10-year break-even inflation rate. So that's basically a market forecast of inflation over the next 10 years. And currently it's sitting at about 2%. So while you know economists and the front end is telling us that the, the market's going to be hiking in 2023 because inflation is going to be picking up. 10-year break-evens haven't really moved. And, and generally, that's pr- a pretty good signal that the market's not buying the inflation story. What do you think about that, Darren? Yeah, it can be a couple of things. One is, yes, they don't think inflation's a problem. That can be because they honestly believe that um, rates will increase at, at a rate fast enough to keep inflation under control. So whilst break-evens remain stable and real yields remain stable, you, you, you see um, sort of higher rates overall keeping that under control. Or, or as, as you say, it can also be just a measure that the market doesn't believe what the economists are telling us. Always a hard one to put a you know a high confidence around. But I think one of the things we've seen is that um, break-evens generally forecast future inflation better than the economists do. So, um, you know, it's probably, as as you say, something to keep an eye on. They don't always get it right, but, you know, it's certainly something that if we start to see increasing rapidly, it's probably a good sign that they are starting to get worried about inflation. Yeah, and I I would just add one more thing to that. Certainly since I've been in the market, I've been told when break-evens hit 2%, you should buy them because, you know, the RBA is not going to fail in its objectives and they should be at 2.5%. And, you know, the break-evens have done a fair better job at telling you that inflation is going to be low than than anyone who's probably been tempted, me included, over the past 10 years to try and buy them. So it probably is a trade if you believe inflation is coming, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of those ones that has hurt probably a lot of people over the past 10 years. The other thing that is the conflicting signal that's worth talking about is just the long bond rates. So if you look in Australia, the longest Australian government bond is a 2051. And you would probably expect if you thought inflation was coming, that those should be screaming higher in yield. And what we've actually seen over the past two weeks is that they've rallied back to basically where they started in February. So if you had have owned 2051 bonds, it would have been a far better experience than than some of the shorter dated ones. What does that kind of tell us that the market's thinking then, Darren? You kind of have two two forces out on that long end. One, yes, inflation expectations are quite important. And I think in, in a world where even if inflation is running at two to three percent, people aren't that worried about it. You tend to get bond yields really react to inflation levels much higher than that. The the, the sort of second factor that really drives that long end of the market is just global pension funds who need yield. 2.5% yield when cash rates are zero is, doesn't sound such a bad thing. Probably doesn't sound great for, for a lot of investors, but but for these guys who are, are sort of having to manage large pension pools and don't always have the ability to you know chase all sorts of assets, you know, a stable two and a half percent yield is not a bad place to be. So I think you're always going to have those conflicting signals between people who are just buying the bonds for yield and those that are that are what truly worried about future inflation outcomes. I would say to me personally, I kind of look at some of these longer bonds as, as pricing future cash rate paths as well. And some of the measures that I like to use are 
say 100 points over cash is, is one of the ones that I've used quite often. And so with these bonds getting sticky at two, two and a quarter, I think it is kind of highlighting that our, our idea that cash is going to struggle through 1% when they do actually start hiking is probably a pretty good estimate. Because if they were able to push it well through those levels, then the, those back end bonds should be really starting to push higher as well in anticipation of what they're going to do. So generally, that's how I try to read it. But sometimes you kind of end up finding the thing that confirms your idea and, and gets you a little bit too comfortable. But it, it is very interesting, I think, at the moment that those are the bonds that are outperforming at the moment. Yeah, it's certainly tricky as a bond manager because just because somebody thinks a, a rate's going to change at a certain point in time in the future, there's all sorts of permutations for yield curves can move and and things like that. So it's, it's always... Um, a much harder sort of job picking exactly where to be invested. But, you know, that's that's kind of our job. But we certainly think that those long bonds are really emphasising the fact that cash rates are not going dramatically higher in the market's opinion anytime in the next five to 10 years. So that's it for this month. Just to summarise, the RBA has had a fairly significant announcement today, although they haven't actually moved interest rates, but they have given us a bit of idea around what they're thinking for the next couple of months, and they have started to taper the QE program. So it's certainly going to be an interesting couple of months to see what happens, whether we get data that backs up those views or whether we see a slowing in the economy again. But tune in next month when we'll deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's August rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. And until then, stay safe. The portfolio manager's views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily reflective of the wider Yarra Capital Management Group. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 9900337625 AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.